This is Tom. This is Jake. And this is Travis. And we are the Drunken Dork Podcast. Tune in every week and listen to us discuss the finer points on superheroes, the latest pop culture news, as well as all of our favorite blues. You can listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or the Stitcher app for Android. And be sure to catch up on all of our episodes by visiting us over at www.drunkendorkpodcast.wordpress.com. And remember, folks, you have one liver. Ruin it well. Hi, this is Erica Schultz and Claire Connolly, and you're listening Listening to to Adrian Adrian Has Has Issues. Hey guys, and welcome to what should be a very, 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 I'm going to throw about 20 more varies on there, very special episode. First off, before I even introduce our guest, I'm going to introduce my guest host. You've probably heard her on episode 16, which was The Adventures of Idea Man and Logistic Girl, my girlfriend, and this very show's creative director. Ladies and gentlemen, Eileen. Eileen, how's it going, darling? Hey, I'm doing great, hon. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Well, by fantastic, I mean winded because I had to stop out for a second and then, like, ran back home. So (laughs) if I sound like my breathing is labored, well, it's mostly because I'm out of shape, but also because I actually did run for a change. (laughs) That'll do it. <laughs> and one of the many reasons why I have you on a show is one, A, I always have fun talking to you, but we actually, you know, I'm going to just go out and say it. I mean, I'm a fan, but I know you are a much bigger fan of today's guest. All right. Let's see. Let's run down the list. She's like a Jill of all trades. All right. Attorney, <laughs> New York Times bestselling author. There's comic books, novels galore. Looking at your resume, it's almost like a, a dossier of like the world's most badass super spy. <laughs> <laughs> It really is. And I and I got to say, I'm glad I didn't know all that stuff when I met her, because I would have been way more intimidated than I already was. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, Marjorie Lou. Marjorie, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been so much fun. And I know we've been kind of playing tag, but thankfully we got everything together, so we should have a lot of fun. Oh, this is going to be great. Which, by the way, I, I will just say also thank you for making My Girlfriend's Day as back a special edition because <laughs> I, we were going over the list of people to meet. So we're going, oh, this one's cool and we like this one or what have you. But uh, I know only when you found it that Margie was going to be like, we have to see her. And I'm like, okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say I totally fangirled and was absolutely squeeing about it <laughs> and squeeing oh, after. Oh. I'm usually composed and I'm a grown up, but yeah, I, I, I got a little squee worthy for a minute. <laughs> what I love, you know, about you, Marjorie, is I mean, obviously, you're extremely talented. But I've been following you online for a while, you know, not stalking or anything, you know, just kind of, <laughs> you know, disclaimer there. I love just, you're just the sweetest thing. You really are. And you're so genuine. And I love just reading about your travels all over the place and, and the little animals. And there's always something and, you know, you'll bring your family in and they're, everybody's adorable and you're just such a genuine person. And I think that that really comes through 
Um, and meeting you was just really great. Like, you know, I could just totally see us, you know, being girlfriends, you know, <laughs> which hey, is awesome. Really nice of you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to say the entire opposite. I'm actually kind of afraid of you because I'm looking at, uh, during this conversation, I'm looking at your Skype profile pic. Oh, that. <laughs> which I don't know if, if you can see it, babe, or if, um, obviously anyone else. It's you, I guess, holding up a target after, uh, I guess you're at a range. I was at a range. We were accidentally, um, our, our flight was canceled out of Honolulu. So we were stuck in Hawaii. This was like three years ago or something, which is a terrible thing to be stuck in Honolulu an extra day. <laughs> so we, were, we were just wandering around and we stumbled upon a gun range in the middle of downtown Honolulu near the beach. And so we just kind of, it was like on the second story of a mall or something. So we went upstairs after lunch and we're poking around and we thought, Oh, you know, I, I'd never been to a range before. And so uh, we popped ourselves in and it was really fun. Now I did not expect to enjoy shooting rifles and, um, and semi-automatics, but actually um, there was something kind of mm, I don't know. Again, that was the first time I'd actually handled a gun, and would, it was relaxing. I would imagine it'd be very kind of visceral, but that's awesome. I've never had the privilege trying it. I don't know about you, babe. I don't want to say I've been dying to, but more and more I've been thinking about it. I'm like, look. I'm not necessarily the biggest pro-gun person, you know, far from it. But I figured, look, I'm shooting at a piece of paper in a controlled environment. That's probably as far as it goes for me. And it's one of those bucket list things. Like, you know what? I've never done it. And considering the look of glee on your face as you hold up your target, (laughs) it looks like it could be a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. I would never want a gun in my own home. I would never. I'm not into owning guns. But being on the range, like when you're in a controlled environment, and you're just shooting at a target and you're just trying to be super focused. Again, it's actually, there's something very, there's something sort of relaxing about it in a, in a very weird way, at least for me. Again, under any other circumstance, I would not be relaxed at all. But, but <laughs> when you're just staring at a piece of paper and you're like in a, I don't know, in a, in a controlled environment, more or less. Yeah, I, I found it, I thought it was really a lot of fun. I could understand that. You kind of zone out. You yeah, know, and it's I, I get that way when I'm playing pool, especially if somebody else is beating me, and then I get kind of annoyed. Then all of a sudden, my focus gets really good. Yeah, yeah, I and- know that um, <laughs> firsthand. Because all right, just a little bit of a story here. Uh, we were at a convention. This is back maybe what a year ago. Dang that, yeah. She was like, "Oh, let's go play pool." So we're gonna play pool, and not that I th- thought I was going to win. But you're like, oh, we'll just play around for a little bit and we'll get something to eat. And then you turned into, what's your name, Janet Lee? Like, you just kind of went pool shark on me. Like, Love total it. Paul Newman, the state going on. It was just like, wow. I think you missed your calling, Dave. Well, I mean, we did have a pool table in the house. But um, not a signifier of any talent at all because I suck as equally as I do well. Sometimes when I get mad, I play better. Sometimes when I drink, I get better. And sometimes it's the opposite. So, you know, you pretty much have a good chance. You know, if it's a straight line, I can't do it. If it's a bank shot, I usually do better than trying to shoot straight. Shooting straight, I inevitably, you know, the ball goes flying off the table or something. (laughs) Which is not necessarily um, uplifting when, of course, talking about a gun range, because maybe that's not exactly. (laughs) No, okay. Well, that's a little different than trying to whack a ball with the tiny half-inch point of a stick. Pretty sure a gun might be a little easier to aim. It's interesting because even on a gun range, even even in a in a quote-unquote like controlled environment, you, I still, they hammer this home, you still have to be incredibly careful. Right. Because these things are, 
I mean, even though it's, I, I always think of them as deeply unpredictable. I think of guns as deeply unpredictable. So when, when I hold it, you know, as they tell you, you always point it away from people, point it away from yourself. You know, you always handle it very, very carefully. Keep your finger off the trigger, you know, keep the, the safety on until like you're, you're ready to begin. When I hold it, I feel the danger of it. Like it's, it's not something that, that I feel like, you know, I personally could pick up and never be not like nonchalant about because right. it feels, it's fun to shoot. It's fun to aim at the piece of paper. It feels like a weapon. It feels dangerous. Yeah. You feel that potential. Yeah. After a couple of rounds at the range, I says, wait a minute, I could do this for real. So on top of being <laughs> a writer, now you're <laughs> like expert markswoman. Yeah, no, but <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, think about it this way. It's research for, I guess, your next novel or even comic book. I guess so. <laughs> so before we get into Monstrous, which believe me, I, I really want to get into, I guess we should just start from the beginning. How does someone who is an attorney also end up writing comic books? You know, it sort of happened by accident. Um I was, or actually writing novels, rather. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, well, both. Actually, all of it was sort of, in some ways, an accident. Like a sort of a one of those one of those accidents that also um, required a lot of hard work, I guess. To to you know, I don't know. Anyway, it's one of those hard. It, like if you, it's one of those hard work meets opportunity meets meets et cetera, et cetera. So I was in law school, and I graduated from law school, and I was stepping to the bar, and I was looking for a job, and I'd always. You know, I loved reading. I always loved writing, and I'd never actually been able to finish anything. Though I, I, I'd written a lot of fan fiction, and I was able to, you know, whip off fan fiction and finish that. But I'd never actually finished an original novel that I'd begun writing. So there was a, this voice inside my head. This was one of those moments where you know, like it's fate, whatever you want to call it, this kind of whispering in your ear. And, and this voice was inside my head, just saying, you know what? This is going to be the only time you have in your life where you don't have any obligations. You're looking for a job. Now is the time to actually write this thing. Like if you really are serious about writing, now is the time just to sit down and like bang it out. And so I, it, I basically played a numbers game where if I told myself if I wrote 3,000 words a day, then at the end of the month I would have a novel. And that's more or less what I did. Um, I would get up at 6 a.m. and I would write until I had 3,000 words or more. And usually that meant like writing to, into the, you know, deep into the evening, sometimes in the middle of the night. And I did that for 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, I had a novel. <laughs> it was a paranormal romance uh, called Tiger Eye about a, it was set in, the first part of it set in Beijing. It's about this woman who goes to a, um, to Panjaren, the, the dirt market, and picks up a, a sort of like a, a little, you know, like a little box. And she opens it up when she gets back to her hotel room and out pops out. This guy pops out. He's like a seven foot tall, shape shifting warrior type. <laughs> <laughs> And I revised that for about two to three months and I sent it out. And eight months later, I'd sold it. So <laughs> I sold it the day before my 25th birthday. I got myself an agent uh, once I had the contract in hand, got a nice little book deal out of it, and basically decided to quit practicing law and write full time. And so I did that. I did that. I moved down to the family farm in Indiana and spent half the year in China, half the year in Indiana, did that for about eight years. And just writing full time, writing two to three books a year. And then back in, I, pretty soon after I sold my first novel, I was talking to my agent and uh, it was Halloween and her son ran up and he was dressed as Spider-Man. And I said, oh, I love comics. I, you know, I, I love Marvel. And she said, well, I know the editor at Simon & Schuster and they just signed a licensing deal with Marvel to publish prose novels based off of their, um, their characters. 
would you like to pitch something? And I was like, well, of course. So I pitched an X-Men novel. They said yes. I wrote it. The guys at Marvel had to approve everything, you know, to ha- had to approve the book. And so my editor passed along a message basically saying, you know, hey, they, they like the work you did. So I ended up going to the first New York Comic Con. And while I was there, I met their head of recruitment. And knowing that they had liked the work I had done on the book gave me the courage to say, hey, if you guys ever want a writer to write actual comics at Marvel, here I am. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wasn't sure anything would actually come of it. But uh, two to three years later, they offered me MYX, um, which was my first book at Marvel. It was a mini series, just like five to six issues. And that was how I got my foot in the door. So I went from that to Dark Wolverine to X to Black Widow to X23, um, Astonishing. And the rest is sort of history. I read NYX, and it's so funny. I didn't put two and two together. I had read that years ago, and I was like, wait a minute. Once I looked at it, I was like, that was Marjorie? Like, how did I completely miss that? <laughs> See, I came in different. I came in on the novel side. Mm-hmm. So, but again, that was years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I read, like, Eye of Heaven and In the Dark of Dreams. I'm thinking those are the two. Yeah. That, uh, but I mean, it was so long. Oh, my God. Like, I read hundreds of books. I, I'm a big book reader. I would go to the library, fill up a bag, bring it back before it's due. I'd read the ball within the week. So I know I read your books. I remember. Still don't know I, how you do it, by the way. Um, a lot of all-nighters and then very bad um, book hangovers the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I did used to have a lot of free time before I had kids. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to really checking out Monster, being that I, don't ha- I haven't seen a lot of your comics. Um, I'm kind of a newbie to the comic thing. You know, since I've been with Adrian, um, I've been being educated, <laughs> but um, I'm still being catching up, whatever. But Monster just looks amazing. The artwork and the little sneak peek you gave us is just I, I can't wait. And I'm really mad that we couldn't make it to con so that I can get a copy. <laughs> well, fortunately, it doesn't come out till November 4th. So, oh, okay. um, but are you guys based in New York? I'm in New York. He's in, I'm Jersey. in New Jersey. Ah, so I'll be signing at Midtown Comics on November eighth. Oh, in the downtown store. I so, guess we will have to try to make that work somehow. Yeah, if you guys are free that day, it's a Sunday. If you're free, just you know, pop by. Awesome. Maybe write that down quick. Okay. <laughs> so November eighth, you said? Yeah. Okay. It starts at one thirty. Awesome. I of course live and breathe comics. I, I think. As I walk throughout my bedroom, I'm pretty much slipping on some version of a comic one way or another because, well, I don't believe in bookshelves. Um, <laughs> but I would say, though, that's right, because you also did um, a, a pretty uh, a pretty high-profile run on the Astonishing X-Men. Mm-hmm. Was that your book, though, the one you pinned, the, the Wedding of North Star? Yep, that was me. I've always wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. Was that an idea that you had brewing, or was this something that maybe the editorial staff, because I know some people have thought, well, it was, a you know, unfortunately the detractors were saying it was a publicity stunt and this and that, but it was a nice conclusion to North Star's constant running arc of being one of the few openly gay mutants. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it definitely was not a publicity stunt. That's what I figured. That must have been pretty impactful. Well, you know, it was a real honor to write that story. It was very humbling, and it was it was something that really mattered to me. And it was about time, too. But on another level, I mean, for me, I felt like gay marriage was, was a civil rights issue. And I've said this before, but I'm of mixed race. My dad's Chinese. My mom is white. My parents got married in 1978, which was just 10 years after the Supreme Court ruled 
that it was um, that it was illegal to ban mixed marriages, which is kind of insane to think that up until 1968, it was, it was actually illegal to marry someone of another race. Like that to me just blows my mind. Right, and that's something that people don't really even think about. No, they don't. They certainly don't. They don't realize just how recent that that ruling actually is. In another life, in another world, I probably wouldn't be around, you know, if if that had not happened. And so, for me, the idea that people can't that people could not get married because they were the same sex just kind of blows my mind. Like it just it, it doesn't make sense to me at all. I really was passionate about this marriage between North Star and Kyle, I felt like, I felt like it was time. I felt like it was a story that, that was important and that it needed to be told, that it really needed to be told. And that's something that's pretty remarkable about that book because it was very controversial in both, you know, very positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. And it was just very strange reactions because you think about it, the entirety of the X-Men which I'm, I guess um, Eileen will speak to the novel side, but as far as comic books, the X-Men pretty much stand for, I don't say the outsider, but, you know, the disenfranchised. So whether they be, you know, people of color or maybe homosexuals or what have you, where the X-Men represent people who unfortunately were looked down on by many of the people in society. And yet they band it together to, of course, protect that same world and also find some camaraderie and say, hey, you know, we may be different in this way, but we're all still people. And it was just very strange to me that even in the book about superpowered beings, they were still angry. But I'm like, that's kind of what this book is really about. (laughs) And, you know, fortunately, in the real world, uh, response to the the book was more or less overwhelmingly positive. There were some there was some pushback. Um, I got... I would say for about a year, I got some death threats. Um, oh, oh my god! Yeah, I mean, and and it was funny because I would get these death threats, and I would show them to the security people at Marvel, and they'd be like, "Ah, eh, those aren't really those. They're like they're like sea level death threats." <laughs> like don't be too worried. They're like, "Eh, eh, like yeah, yeah. That's like that's not that's not an urgent death threat. You don't need to be too worried about that one. It's like a it's like a mini one." I was like, oh, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, so that would explain the shooting range story. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting. Saying that that sort of went away after a while, and they warned me. I think, I think in some ways we were all happy that that there wasn't even even more pushback than than there was because they kept leading up to the release of the book. They were sort of coaching me. They were like, "Okay, you got you got to expect that some crazies are come going to come out. We don't know what's going to happen. Just be prepared, you know, for anything." And I was like, "Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready." And, uh, and then really it wasn't, it, it, people were like, uh, oh, you know, thank you. And, you know, it's, it's, this is great. And I was like, perfect, wonderful. You know, only, only a handful of people want me dead. <laughs> Not oh everyone. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't even, I mean, that first one you got must have been insane. Well, it was interesting because it was a death threat that quickly either escalated or de-escalated, however you want to look at it, into sort of just crazy racist insults. So on one hand, they wanted me dead. And, and then in the next breath, they were calling me a chink and telling me to go home to the rice paddies in China. <laughs> Which is pretty nuts, though, because one thing I keep forgetting that not only was it a, um, a gay wedding, but it's also an interracial Gateway, so right, right. That's something I almost kind of forgot about, which I'm sure blew a lot of minds. But that that's pretty well. The threat isn't epic, but the fact that you even got to handle that—that's pretty cool. Oh, it's all in a day's work. (laughs) People have too much time on their (laughs) hands. There's worse things to get upset about, and if you feel like you need to reach out and threaten somebody, you have a lot more underlying issues than what's being (laughs) thrown out there. 
exactly. That's amazing. But, you know, I give you credit for keeping your head up through that because I think I would probably be hitting the gun range more, <laughs> hiding out. Well, I've, I have to say, and I don't, I just have the nicest, nicest readers. Like, my readers are just really super nice people. I've never had a, you know, fingers crossed, but I've actually never really had a problem. Like, I've just never felt anything but warmth from the people I meet at readings or at comic book conventions. That's part of the reason why I like going so much. You know, I don't, I, I don't really, you know, panels, whatever. It's those I could do without those, but, but actually, <laughs> they're fun up to it a certain point. But, but I really just like meeting the readers. You know, I think it's people are just super nice. It's really lovely meeting super nice, enthusiastic people who love to read, and who you know love visiting and and, and living inside like these imaginary worlds. You know, not just that I create, but that others create. Because readers are like, there's nothing better than a really good reader. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. people who love books, that's just, that's a beautiful thing. I feel bad, though, because, again, I'm terrible when it comes to novel reading. Like, if I read a novel in front of Eileen, she'd probably yell at me because I read entirely too slow. <laughs> I'd probably read it to him. <laughs> actually, no, I would be, I would have to write it on the calendar you were actually reading a novel. <laughs> <laughs> by book readers i don't just mean like prose i also mean comic books i just mean like you know i just mean readers period okay babe you're still in then yeah you're fine okay adrian <laughs> so you're good you're you're still a reader growing up a lot of the books i read were comics and i did read some novels but mm -hmm. comics just spoke to me in the way that i guess novels didn't you know as a kid that was the thing where people felt that reading comic books it wasn't like proper reading like you know you were just wasting your time and unless you read like a literary book especially like the classics that you know it wasn't the same thing but i don't see why not i mean it's presented in a different format but it's kind of all the same thing. That's what I always thought, at least. Mm -hmm. I would I would agree with that, because that's like even like when they make you read Brave New World. Imagine that in comic book form. Mm -hmm. That would be comparable to anything else that's out there, except that it was in prose. But I guess teachers don't like pictures. Well, it's funny. I think, I think this is beginning to change. But I think for a long time, um, people felt that comic books were, were for children. You know, that it was the stories being told. Um, because there were pictures, therefore must be very simple and, I guess, childlike in some ways, um, infantile. And I think that there's been like this renaissance. I think people are beginning to understand that that is actually not the case, that that the comic book medium allows for an incredibly diverse range of stories to be told. So we can get superhero stories, which can still be very mature and, and complex. Um, we can get children's books, you know, told in graphic format. We can get graphic memoirs like Ellen Forney's Marbles. We can get journalism, actually, you know, like journalistic stories, nonfiction in comic book format, like what Joe Sacco has done. And so, you know, it's really, really beautiful, the range of, of stories that can be told in this medium. I think what we're going to see, especially within the next, you know, five years or so, are comic books entering classrooms even more than, than perhaps they, they do now and a growing respect for them and acknowledgement that some really important stories are being told here. Definitely. And I, I can't wait for that because then I feel like my existence is validated. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe all the comics that I have snatched from teachers, well, granted, I, okay, maybe that's a little bit different because I was reading them when I was not supposed to be, but <laughs> I still feel like I'm vindicated a slight bit. Right. But speaking of comics, though, you got to get into Monstrous. So after... Of course, working on so many novels and working on comics for other publications. So at what point then 
Is this your first creator-owned uh, comic? Yeah, it is. So what was the, the story in which led to that? Or is it just one of those things that after writing so many other books, you're like, you know what? I want to get into this for myself now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty much that simple. You know, I've been writing for Marvel since 2007, 2008, and I love it. It's a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, you, you don't own your characters. I started out as a novelist, and I still am a novelist. Um, I'm still writing novels, although just a lot more slowly than I used to. And there's something really kind of wonderful about about immersing yourself in a world that you've created and characters that, that spin wholly out of you. I really missed that, and I wanted to do that within the comic book medium. That's basically why I took sort of an extended break from Marvel, because I wanted I wanted to give this a shot. I wanted to see, okay, well, you know what? I can talk a good talk, but let me see if I can actually do this. Let me see if I can, if I can tell the epic fantasy I've always wanted to tell, but in a comic book. It's been a real adventure. It's been really interesting because it wasn't it wasn't the easy transition that I thought it would be. You know, writing comic books, it's it's not all equal. Writing for Marvel, because you're playing in someone else's sandbox, because the characters are pre existing, you know, it's it's a world more or less like our own, you know, except with, with mutants. Okay. Uh, meant that I could get away with whether or not I realized it. You know, I thought it was I thought I was working super hard on these books and I was. But more or less, I was reinterpreting characters that already existed. And I thought that because I'm a novelist and because I'm used to world building and, you know, writing stories wholesale out of, out of nothing, that it would be an easy transition to take those skills and transfer them into a comic book. And it wasn't. It actually was not. It required a tremendous amount of hard work and sort of reevaluating my skills as a writer to create monstrous because the comic book writing skills that I learned at Marvel, while useful, did not entirely serve me when it came to creating monsters because it's a very different thing. Like world building in a comic book, um, building character in a comic book is different from world building, character building in a novel. The principles are the same, but the way you go about doing it changes by virtue of, of the medium you're working in. And even though I thought I had done a lot of character building and to some degree world building at, in Marvel, you know, with the X-Men and Black Widow, et cetera, nothing compared to the task I had set myself to in creating monsters, which again is like a, is its own world. It's a, it's a deep, complex fantasy world that required a lot of planning, a lot of structure, a lot of um, just sitting down and staring in space and just thinking about <laughs> things. It's been interesting for me going through this process. I learned a lot about myself as a writer. And I'm actually grateful, in fact, that I'm learning new tricks because it's always, it's never good to stagnate, um, especially when you're an artist. But part of me hopes that the next creator-owned project I do will go a lot easier than this one did. <laughs> and in fact, actually, I'm doing another creator-owned book at Dark Horse. And I can tell you that um, it has gone a lot easier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Yeah. None of the stuff that I write, well, my girlfriend, who is a awesome poet, um, I'm, yeah, I'm going to put you on blast, but she's currently uh, working on a art poetry project. Wow. Um, it's in the early stages, though, but it's coming together very well and made a lot of artists for it, which is great because you two have that over me where it's like, oh, hey, you're working on this stuff. And while well, you've been published and I think mean, hopefully soon you will be as well. But it's like I can't imagine thinking of because you think about the comics. I'm like, shoot, I read these all the time. It should be easy to write. No, so, like, they're not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Marjorie, when you're being that you went through this process of writing did you find that you had to kind of 
almost storyboard your story a little bit just to kind of like kind of uh, combine the two of writing but not i mean i know a novel there's a lot of words there's a lot going on in there but then you only have a certain amount of frames of a comic book to work within only so many bubbles of dialogue you could fit within each frame how does that process go like do you have to kind of do that for yourself it's it's really interesting i used to say you know Writing a novel in some ways is way easier than writing a comic because with a comic, you have, a, like you said, you have a limited amount of space. And so every panel has to count. You know, you can't, I mean, if you're writing a graphic novel, um, like a 120 page graphic novel, in some ways you have more room to hide the flaws of the story. It's the same thing when you're writing a novel, when you're writing prose, you know, because you have you know, 400 pages, you know, and 100,000, 200,000 words to work with, you can hide a lot of your weaknesses within those pages, either through, you know, interior, the interiority of the character, action, like what have you. In a 20-page comic, you can't hide. Like, you just can't hide. If the story is not tight, if the story isn't there, everyone will see it. In some ways, it's like, you know, writing poetry. Every word counts. Everything matters. Everything has its place, and it has to have a reason for being there. And so writing a comic for me, um, especially with Monstrous, but with Black Widow and, and Astonishing X-Men, everything I've worked on, requires really thinking carefully about what belongs and what is absolutely essential to the story. So, you know, like I'm right, if I write a novel, I can mosey along and have, you know, I can throw in extra stuff here and there and all these <laughs> descriptions, et cetera. I can build it, you know, and one must because all you have are your words. And so you're creating a world through your words and you're, you're layering it in. You're making it as dense as possible. Well, with a comic, it's still important to make it dense. You know, part of this comes from the art itself. So when it comes to Monstrous, um, sure, I'm writing the script, but I'm work also working with a brilliant artist. You know, I'm working with Sana, who is like one of the, the brightest stars I've ever, I've ever had the honor and the privilege of collaborating with. In some ways, you would think that would take the burden off. And in some ways, it does. But, this, but the story still has to be tight. Do you know what right. I mean? Because I, I've, I've been so deep in this process now for like the last year, and I've tried a lot of different things, you know, like from outlining to um, to layouts to like trying to like, you know, structure each page, which is a couple sentences about what I want to happen. And really what it comes down to is writing the script, like having an outline, knowing where each issue is sort of is supposed to fall within within the arc within the overarching story and then writing the issue and then going through and really just going word by word and asking myself okay does this do enough work is this scene doing enough work so for example i wrote two pages um this is like this is a couple months ago like i wrote you know two pages in an issue and and I thought they were great. Like, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, like, I really like where this is going. It's perfect. <laughs> you know, patting myself on the back. And, um, and then about a couple weeks later, I took another look at it and I was like, mm, yeah, this, this was after I, I started working on another issue. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm looking back now at this, this, this other issue. And this, it, those two pages are just kind of sitting there. Like, they're fine, but they're not doing any real work. I ended up putting those two pages in another issue, swapping them out for two other pages that I put in that did actually do work. Like they both showed the world and they showed character at the same time. Whereas the other two pages were interesting and necessary. They weren't showing character or the world. Whereas in the other issue, in the context of the larger story, they were. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's, 
So sometimes it just requires just doing it, just doing it and sitting back and really looking at it and just trying to be honest about, about the work and being like, you know what? This is kind of crap. <laughs> well, that's honest i mean yeah. it's just something where i think adrian probably can can relate to that because i mean he downplays it but he writes he can write dialogue and screenplays and you know what? he wants to be the next big kevin smith mm-hmm. but um i guess it's kind of like writing screenplays where you have to have that continuity mm-hmm. and if something kind of breaks up the flow and the continuity of the film it could be a great scene but if it doesn't flow right or if it doesn't really propel the story along, then you got to cut it out. Yeah. And it still hurts. It still was a valid piece, but in and of itself with everything else, I guess it doesn't, it doesn't fit. And maybe you could use it somewhere else. Trust me, I'm my own worst critic. So there's a lot of stuff I'll, I'll do. And heck, even like, let's say with the podcast where I'll record an episode, it didn't go right into editing it. And I'm like, Oh man, like this, I sound terrible here, or why did I say this instead? And I'm like yelling at my own recording of me. It's like, why didn't you do it differently this way? I've so <laughs> having a little bit of separation from it and coming back and saying, oh, hey, this is pretty good. Or the, oh, I guess that's actually a little bit better than the opposite of being so in love with it and realizing like this is so good. This is so strong. I have to keep it only to realize later on that. No, it's not that necessary. It's got to go. Yeah. I mean, I remember there have been a couple times. Now, I wrote my um, the first novel in my Hunter Kiss series, The Iron Hunt. I ended up writing that novel three or four separate times. Like, there were there were three or four separate versions of that book. Oh, um, wow. Right. Now, that had to do with the fact that um, I just didn't know what I was doing with that novel. It took me a long time to figure it out. At that time, I wasn't really good at outlining. So I was figuring it out by just writing it and like figuring it out as I went. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I had to do that like three different times <laughs> before, before I got the final novel. With a comic, you can't afford to do that because once you send it to the artist, that's more or less that. I mean, sure, maybe you can a- ask for a patch here and there, but really you shouldn't – once that script is out, it's out. You can't go back and keep fixing you know, so-and-so issue because this is serialized storytelling. You know, you're not publishing as a whole you know, where you have the opportunity to, to go back and revise – you know, these parts come out and that's it. You know, you just really need to know what you're doing. And I would imagine, too, that would mess with whoever's doing the artwork. That takes so much time that to then yeah. change a scene completely would really throw them off. Yeah. As well. So basically making comics is like tweeting. You know, you got to get with you got to keep within your 40, 140 characters <laughs> and you got to be really to the point. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right. Unfortunately, and I don't mean this to be an actual, you know, a jab at him, but, you know, not everybody could be like a Bendis where, you know, you could use all of your words at once. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the the artist needs to have their work in sometimes. So <laughs> the self-editing thing is, is very tough because there have been times where I've just been so in love with it. And I'm like, I can't get rid of this. And then it's like you're staring at it like it's a puppy. Like, how am I supposed to give this away? Right. Mm-hmm. You got to kill your baby. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you're working on another thing with Dark Horse. Is there any chance to then go back to any more, I guess, established characters? Like, is there ever a character that you would absolutely love to write that maybe have an opportunity to do so yet? Um, sure. I have to say that I am enjoying Creator Own so much that it would be very difficult for me to go back to writing an already established character. I mean, the pressures of Creator Own are different because you have to take care of so much. You're really running your own business, which is a totally separate set of concerns from just sitting down and, and telling a story. 
that said, it's really wonderful to be able to tell a story that's mine and not have to worry about anyone else. I don't have to worry about the corporation that might otherwise be behind me, you know, whether or not I'm, quote, going against the rules of the character. Like, I'm just sitting down, I'm telling a story, and it's mine. And that's really, really fun to have that sort of freedom and to be, you know, in some ways, my own boss again. I know with some other authors, and I know, for instance, uh, one of Eileen's favorites, Laurel K. Hamilton, has turned their novels into comic book works. Um, is there any interest for that in any of some of your series to then maybe take it into more of a visual medium? There was some talk a while ago about turning the Hunter Kiss series into a graphic novel, and I won't rule it out. We haven't discussed it for a while. I think it's a story, it's a character, it's a book that would probably translate well into the medium, but it's not in the immediate future. Which I forgot to ask you, though, which should have probably been one of the earlier questions, is Monstrous, is that self-published, or is that through, like, Image or another company? Oh, that's for Image. Oh, it is for Image. Awesome. In that case, I mean, shoot, you got to check it out, because I am a very late adopter when it comes to Image, because I remember the Image as a kid that was very much like that early 90s, you know, giant guns and, you know, pegs kind of superheroes, but they really come, <laughs> you know, it's a far cry from the, the, the very sort of almost forward thinking books that they have now. And that, that's pretty impressive. And I can't think of a better company to push something like this. No, I'm really happy. Like I, I've really enjoyed myself working with Image. Like they're just a great company and a great team. That's awesome. And you're right. Sana does amazing work. Just seeing the posters and I saw the banner that you have now. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. No, she's she's something else. I just and she's just the nicest person. Like she's just an incredibly besides being like a genius, she's also <laughs> she's also just one of the nicest people I know. So how did the two of you get paired up? Well, we actually worked together on X twenty three. We did like two arcs of X twenty three, like twelve issues together or something. I think a little bit more than that even. I was just always blown away with her art, with her work ethic, with just the way she would bring so much life to the page, her use of color. I mean, everything. Everything was just always just beautiful. So, you know, I stopped working at X-23 and the book was canceled and, and time passed. And we sort of more or less stayed in touch because I was going to Japan here and there and, and we'd, we'd see each other. And she wasn't working in comics. She was doing some other things. And so when the opportunity to, to work on Monstrous at Image came up, I was like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? And she was like, she said, yes. Um, I was like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's go for it. I just want her to be happy. As they say, I, you know, it's good to have a happy artist because she's just, I just love working with her so much. I really love working with her. And I hope to do so even after this book is over, just to, just to keep finding projects that will bring us together because she's just such an amazing talent. One thing you said at the very beginning of the show, though, you mentioned that you wrote a lot of fan fiction. What am I telling us a little bit more about that? Because that sounds really intriguing. Well, I, you know, I, this was back in the mid nineties, 1996. I just first, I, I was a freshman in college and yeah, I was writing tons of X-Men fan fiction, X-Men fan fiction, um, Star Trek fan fiction, Punisher, Deadpool. I really just, it was so much fun. And I learned a lot about writing. I'd never taken, you know, I'd never taken a creative writing class. You know, I, I read a lot. I enjoyed writing. You know, I loved it. I'd never actually been able to finish anything. But all of a sudden I was writing fan fiction and I was, I was finishing these stories. I was, I was just churning them out. And I learned a tremendous amount about dialogue, about action, about conflict, because I was just writing, you know, the more you do it, to, be, to become a good writer just requires a lot of practice. It requires a lot of time writing. It requires a lot of reading and it requires a lot of writing. People always ask me, okay, well, how, how do I learn how to do this? 
um, as if there's like some, you know, magic key. I just tell them, listen, you got to read as much as you can. You have to read, 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 read. And you have to write, 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 write. And you have to be okay with writing crap. You know, when you first, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like when you first start, you know, what you write, you know, unless you're some super genius, is going to be crap. It's going to suck. And you have to be okay with that. You have to, you know, be okay with, with sucking at this stuff. And, you know, and, and you just, and you, then you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it over and over and over again. And you keep revising. And you keep trying to learn. You know, that's the best way for me. I think that's the only way to learn how to write just by doing it. And fan fiction is a great opportunity for that because, again, like in some ways, the structures are already there. And so what you can focus on, you can focus on character, you can focus on conflict. You, you can, you know, in your own, if you want, focus on world building. But also then you're learning the fundamentals of just writing good dialogue. You're learning the fundamentals of putting a sentence together even. I mean, the reason why it's a great way to learn how to write is because presumably you're doing it because you're having fun. You know, you're really passionate and you're directing that passion into words, into writing. And it's just, it's like the perfect marriage, like if as far as teaching someone how to write because you're already passionate about it you know, and you're just, you're in. And that's like really great. That's a really great way to learn something. True. That's my problem. I'm perfectionist tendency. So I don't want to suck. So that's what's holding me back, babe. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, granted, I know I I make that joke about like most of my, my episodes suck until I go back and edit them. So I'm like, Hey, I'm ahead of the curve (laughs) or maybe not. (laughs) Is there any of the stuff that's actually published? My little sister, believe it or not, is uh, very big into like a lot of fan fiction. I guess that's one of those things that always still exists, and I I never got into that world. Um, is there any? I mean, were you asking me if any of my fan fiction is still out there? Yeah, uh, I think I took it all down. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, think, I think after I, I think after I sold my first book and, and my first book came out, I think I basically went through the internet and, and like just had it all removed. I mean, it's possible there's still some out there. Oh well, I mean, I'm not talking like you know the the uh, the stolen stuff that maybe like you know. <laughs> I just imagine like you get your your first contract, like you're framing it. Next, you know, like you're running to your computer and like shutting down like every Zanga. Nah, nah it wasn't quite. Nah, it wasn't quite that bad. It wasn't. It wasn't like that because I actually really loved writing it, and I wasn't. I wasn't exactly ashamed of it. I would say I absolutely wasn't at all embarrassed to have fan fiction up there, but also wanted to keep those two parts of my life very separate. And I realized that I couldn't. <laughs> that once you once you start publishing and once you're like out there, like it's just I don't think it's possible to keep those two sides separate. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just gonna take it down and just focus on this other stuff. Oh man, it's so much fun talking shop though, because this is the stuff you don't really hear too much of. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, everybody knows, all right, well, I write this thing or I draw this thing, but yeah, it's always fun to know like the ins and outs because I personally feel that that's something that I know someone like me and I know Eileen probably as well can really take from because it's always fun to see like the journey of the artist because it's usually like you've never heard of them and then they get published and now they're everywhere. But it's <laughs> like, okay, so what about, you know, the steps in between? Yeah, there's a lot of steps in between, man. It's, it's funny because it, you're right. We all look at the end product. You know, we all look at, at um, we all look at the the person who's published and and they've quote unquote made it, but there is a tremendous amount of hard work that went into that, and sometimes a lot of luck, sometimes just as we said earlier, like hard work meeting 
you know, meeting opportunity. You know, everything I put out, everything that's published required hours upon hours upon hours of sort of just tremendous work, tremendous hard work, basically just sitting, sitting more or less in my like pseudo office or, you know, in a coffee shop or whatever, but just staring at a computer screen and being really focused. It's funny because it used to be that now I, I have a lot of balance in my life. But for about eight years, you know, I was writing two to three novels a year. Um, I, on top of that, the comics and novellas and things like that. And I didn't have a lot of balance in my life. I was, you know, I was, was traveling. I did travel. I would go to China. And, you know, li I lived half the year in China and half the year in the U.S., which sounds very, you know, sort of like a very adventurous life. And in some ways, I guess it was. But even when I was in China, I was, I was working my ass off trying to hit deadlines. So, yeah. So basically, you know, I was working 14 to 15 hours a day. Uh, wow. every day. And I did that for eight years. Didn't matter if I was in China or in the U S um, that was, that was more or less my life. And I reached a point where I was like, mm, you know what? Um, I'm going to be 80 years old and I'm going to be eaten by my cats. <laughs> <laughs> like I just, I just woke up today and I had the realization that if I kept going, like I was going, you know, assuming I'm, I hit 80 years old there, I was just going to be, surrounded by nothing but cats and poodles and nothing else, which actually is not actually that terrible. I mean, that could be like a really wonderful life. But I also knew that I, I wanted to have another life before I arrived to that point. <laughs> I didn't want that to be I didn't I didn't want that to be the only life I ever knew. Um, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good goal. I'm sorry. I just had this vision. Like, what movie was that? Uh, was that Batman Returns? Like, you know, when she uh, when she falls in the alley, and all of a sudden, like, the cats start coming out of like oh, yeah. the woodwork. <laughs> so I just imagined the same scenario, but just with a lot of poodles. Yeah, it's more or less. That was more or less my future. So I decided. <laughs> I decided I had to take a break. Um, I took a break. Um, before the writing broke me. That was back in like 2010, 2011, where I just, I turned in my last novel and I took a break for two years. I didn't write, I didn't write a novel for two years. I was working on Astonishing X-Men. I was working on comics, but, but not on prose. And then after Astonishing X-Men ended, I mean, I, I did actually write the last Hunter Kiss novel in that, like, I think it came out uh, a couple of years ago. So I did, I did finally do that, that book, but there was like a two year break between my last novel and that one. And then as far as comics go after astonishing X-Men finished its run, I took another like year and a half year long break or so before I started working on monstrous because I needed time to sort of sit back and just think about my next step and what I wanted to do. Um, because you know, life is short. Life is really, really short. And oh, yeah. I didn't want to fall back into the trap again of, feeling like I had to write out of some misguided belief that by not doing so, I would, I would lose opportunities that I would somehow forget how to write novels or somehow no one would ever want to read me again. Cause I do think there's an element of fear some, sometimes, not always, but for some people when they just work themselves to the bone in this business and they, and they just never, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as you just need a paycheck. But then, um, but then there are other times where like you, you work like that because you think that if you don't, you won't ever sell another book. Like you won't get hired. You know what I mean? Like you just, you just have to keep working um, to prove something, to prove that you are a hard worker, that you are like a reliable writer who can put the stuff out there. And I just, I was like, you know what? I just told myself everything's going to be fine. Um, let me take this break. Let me sort of, 
think about my life and put some balance in it, have a life, um, have friends, you know, have, you know, a partner, you know, go out and travel and just be, just, you know, be me without always having to think about deadlines. And I was very lucky that I had the luxury of doing that. It was really good for me. And then after that, I sort of, you know, I, I figured everything out, you know, I sort of decided what I wanted to do and came back and, and threw myself into Monstrous. And I cannot wait for that to come out. And what was the release date one more time? Uh, November 4th. November 4th. Yep. Okay, so that's at least about five, six days before Fallout 4 comes out. So I have no <laughs> excuse not to read it before because that game's going to probably ruin my relationship. Sorry, darling. No. <laughs> oh, well, I need to break anyway. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Marjorie, thank you so much for sitting down and chat with us for a little oh bit. God. This has been so much fun. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it so much. We definitely would love to have you back on. Uh, maybe when the book's out, we can chat more about it. Or on um, this other book you said for Dark Horse, which I get the impression you haven't made a full announcement on yet. So we'll have to wait on that a little bit. Yes. I don't know when that will be announced. <laughs> okay. But when that is, again, you're, the door is always open. So we would love to chat about that. Thank you so much. And who knows, me, I'd be all at a, like a gun range together. Just <laughs> talking comics and just firing rounds oh, or reading oh, comics oh, while oh. shooting guns. I don't know. I don't judge, but it sounds like a good time. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so but before you go, I'm always about shameless self-promotion. So please, please, please let everybody know where they could find you online. Yes. Okay. So my website is MarjorieMLu.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My handle is Marjorie M. Lou. And I'm on Instagram. Um, and what's my Instagram handle? It is uh, Marjorie underscore Lou. And I think those are like the top three places where you can find me. Awesome. And please, no death threats, everybody. Like, we've we learned a lesson. Do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> she has fired a gun. She's not afraid to use them. Uh, <laughs> Nileen Love, I don't know if you want to plug yourself as well, so feel free to do so. Okay, well, my poetry vlog is called A Verse in the Heart, A New Vegan Journey. I am on Tumblr now, and also on blogger.com, and hopefully soon I should also be launching a craft business called Theme by Nika on Etsy, so look out for that. <laughs> oh, well, I'll definitely give the Twitter, which is at verse in the heart, all one word. I do have an Instagram called theme dot underscore by underscore nika and that'll show you stuff i've made in the past and gave you an idea of kind of what i can do but basically right now it's it's all about um the poetry and finding artists to um you know contribute work based on my work you know kind of see what my words look like in a visual form and that's kind of that's my baby. So, you know, there's no timeline on that. I'm just kind of, we meet so many great artists that, um, and up and coming artists that if I can showcase that and kind of see what my words look like from somebody else's vision, then that's, that's awesome. You know, I'll be happy with just having the one book just for me. You know, I don't even know how far that will go if anybody would want to buy it, but just love that there's so many great artists out there and hopefully somebody likes it. So. <laughs> That's wonderful. I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him. He's the one that kind of encouraged me to kind of put my stuff out. I've been doing it since I was a kid. And yeah, now I'm now I'm a poet. <laughs> wonderful. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm refinding myself, you know, late in life and and this is my new journey that I'm mm -hmm. taking my love 
and we're finding great things and great people and and it's really that's what it's all about that's what i love about the comic community is that the creative community really there's such um genuine people and and so much personality and and everybody's that we've met just about has been just really sweet Mm -hmm. and that's what we love you know just just is really about the people behind the art right thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us um i'm I love this, this made my week. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely better than exams. So. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, for everybody else, um, I'm not going to bore you with all my details. There'll be a little stinger after the, uh, the ending theme. But uh, that'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues. And uh, we will see you next issue. Hey guys, Adrian here. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Adrian Has Issues. Before we go, there's a couple of things I want to let you know. First off, you can catch every episode at my main website, adrianhasissues.com. You can download and stream all the episodes there. Plus, there's also a nifty section full of guest appearances. So not only do you get to hear my voice on my own show, but I also hop in on some other podcasts I enjoy, like Let's Chat with Revlin Friends, BS Excluded. Basically, any guest spot I have, I'll put it right in the site. Also, you can check me out at Twitter, at Adrian Has Issues, Facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues. I'm on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to email me at adrianhasissues at gmail.com. Oh, and before we go, I just want to let you know that this podcast is now a member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. My show is also joined by many other great shows like Moving the Needle, Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks, Green Up, and many more. One last thing, please, if you also have Stitcher and iTunes, this show is available there. Please feel free to leave a five-star review and a rating. The more ratings and reviews I get, the better opportunities I have for other people to check out the show. So share and share alike, and thanks for your constant support. I couldn't do this without you. And well, that'll do it for this episode. So see you later, guys.